Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. We have recently moved our Sunday services and midweek connect groups online to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Join us for Church at Home this Sunday by logging on to christchurchlondon.online.church at 10am, 11am, 5pm, 7pm or 8pm for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. And the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Hi everyone. So we're now on the penultimate week of our series looking at the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And today we're looking at self-control and what we can learn from Jesus in this area. I don't know about you, but since lockdown began, it's not like temptation has simply vanished into thin air. I guess for many of us it might have evolved, the temptations might have changed, but temptation is still very much alive and well for all of us. Uh, Maybe, uh, like many, the temptation to eat and drink unhealthily is one that you have succumbed to. Uh, I remember going back a couple of months, uh, just after Easter, our home was littered with chocolate eggs everywhere. And eating chocolate for breakfast was a surprising and unexpected temptation for me. And you will know if you've ever had chocolate for breakfast, two things. Firstly, it makes you feel really sick first thing in the morning. But it also makes you feel that the only thing that will cure this feeling of sickness is eating another chocolate egg. Perhaps that's just my problem. I'm sure most of you have got your physical appetites in check, but maybe the thing that you struggle with is how you use your time during lockdown. Uh, Perhaps if you don't have a commute right now, the temptation to stay in bed longer than you feel you should is one that you've succumbed to. Uh, Maybe it's giving in to the constant array of distractions that are available online. Uh, I know for myself at times I felt overwhelmed by the amount of online noise out there, and yet at the same time I keep on wanting to click online to find out who's saying what on which uh, particular issue. Uh, Maybe over the last couple of months you've struggled with uh, lack of productivity, feeling a sense of a lack of purpose. But maybe at times that's bled into passivity. I know that I'm guilty of that one as well. Or if you're doing fine in that area, perhaps the big challenge for you has been to do with your thought life. 
giving in to fear or despair, unhealthy fantasy, negativity, catastrophizing, or blaming others. Uh, there's actually some science behind this, because at a time like this, we can go into what's called the fight or flight response. And because we can't physically take out the fight on COVID-19, that stress can ooze out in a myriad of other ways. Irritability, pessimism, or despair about the future. Uh, it can be a stress response that's often hard to control. If you are normal, if you are normal, there is a long list of things that can take our thinking down some very unhealthy paths. Self-control is an issue for all of us. And to be honest, this is actually quite a serious point. And sorry for getting so heavy so early on in the talk. But over the last few years, there have been a steady stream of headlines about leading figures, including, I'm afraid to say, leading Christian figures, who have failed very badly indeed. Uh, some of them I looked up to. I read their books and I watched their talks and I wanted to emulate their lives. And they not only ended up giving in to temptation, but they hurt a whole load of people in the process. How do you get to that point? And how do we avoid doing the same? Well, in the passage we just had read to us a few moments ago, this is building up to the most stressful point in Jesus's life. Uh, Luke's gospel records Jesus is sweating great drops of blood, so great is his stress. And yet Jesus manages to stay pure and faithful. Jesus holds it together when everybody else around him ends up failing and quitting. So what can we learn from Jesus in this area? Well, I want to suggest three very simple things. And the first is kind of foundation to everything else that I'm going to say. And it's this first step to growing in self-control is this knowing our weakness, knowing our weakness. Uh, Jesus in this passage seems aware of something that all the other disciples seem utterly oblivious to and it is this, the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. Uh, some of you may have heard of a comedian called George Carlin and he's got one set about drivers and he says all drivers uh, categorise all other road users into one or two categories. Uh, firstly, there are people who drive faster than us. Uh, we call these people maniacs, they are crazy. Uh, secondly, there are people who drive slower than us. Uh, they get in our way, they hold us up. Uh, we call these people idiots. And I guess on some level, we can all relate to that. Uh, a short while ago, I was in the car with my daughter who was uh, five at the time, and she's the sweetest of souls, the most innocent of things. And we got to the end of the road and we're just about to turn. And she asked really sweetly, Daddy, she says, Daddy, are there any idiots on the road today? I, I guess she must have been driving with her mother recently. But the point of the illustration is this. The presumption behind all of this is this. That me, I, I drive at exactly the right speed. Oh, those people drive too quick. And they've got it wrong as well. They're driving too slow. Me, I've got it just right. And so often I live with that attitude with regards to the rest of my life as well. They've got it wrong. They haven't got it right either. Me, I'm living just right. Uh, this bit right here is quite important when it comes to self-control. You might want to tune into this. Nearly all moral failure, nearly all moral failure begins with self-deception. We're thinking, I drive at just the right speed. You know, I imagine very few people watching this talk are thinking to themselves, I'm going to sin. I'm going to fail. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to cheat in this area. You know, the disciples see it, they're utterly self-deluded. Now, one verse before the passage we had read to us, Peter says to Jesus, I'll never deny you. All the disciples say the same. We'll never leave you, Jesus. By the end of the very same chapter, they have done what they vowed they would never do. 
Uh, further on in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 says this, if you think you are standing firm, watch out in case you fall. The key to self-control is knowing, oh goodness, the flesh is weak. And once we are aware of our weakness, it helps us do the other two things Jesus encourages us to do in this passage. Watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. Firstly, watch. In the Old Testament, watchmen were people who stood on the walls of a city or a fortress, and they tried to spot enemies in the distance so they could better guard against them. That's how we are to live when it comes to temptation. A bit of an illustration here. A few years ago, psychologists did an experiment, got a large group of people and divided them into two groups. And to the first group, they said, we want you to eat a cookie, very tasty. To the second group, they said, we want you to resist the cookie and eat a radish instead. One of the most disgusting foods on earth. I will ask God, why the radish uh, one day? Once they either resisted the cookie and eaten the radish or eaten the cookie, they then gave everybody a maths problem to solve. They found that those who had eaten the radish and resisted the cookie, they quit way sooner. They gave up way quicker than those who'd eaten the cookie. What on earth was going on then? Well, here's what research has gone on to show. Uh, every single day, you and I spend around about three to four hours resisting temptation. I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to hold my tongue there and, and not say what I really want to say deep down. But what happens is over the course of the day, our energies end up getting depleted. Uh, this is why, as an aside, many of us will find ourselves more vulnerable to temptation in the evening when we are weaker, when we're more tired. Uh, this is why some young couples will bicker more frequently when young children come along, to pick an arbitrary illustration out of nowhere. Why? Because they're more depleted. When we realise that the flesh is weak and the will is not strong enough to overcome it, or the spirit's willing but the flesh is weak, it will help us better live as a watchman. Uh, maybe even as I'm speaking right now, you want to metaphorically speaking, stand on the walls of your life and identify areas where you feel vulnerable, the enemies of temptation. What might it look like for you to live as a watchman in that area? I know for some people it helps to get physical distance between them and the enemy that is temptation. Uh, I know some people, for example, that move their alarm clock further away from the bed so they can't just simply lean over and hit snooze in the morning. They have to physically get out of bed. Uh, I know for others, they move their mobile phone into a different room so they don't give in to the constant distraction that it provides. Uh, I know some people that have quit social media because they just felt it sucking productivity from them. Uh, I heard of one person that was so concerned about how much time they were giving to watching TV, they actually ended up moving the TV to a less comfortable part of the house. So when they wanted to relax, they were more likely to give time to things like prayer and reading. That's just the work of a watchman. That's how we're to live. Uh, maybe for you it's less physical distance. Uh, maybe it's more emotional or relational distance. Uh, I know for me there are some things I won't read, some things I won't watch, some people I won't listen to because they are bad necessarily. Not really, because I'm weak. And I know that filling my mind with that stuff will take me lower rather than higher and leave me more vulnerable as a result. Uh, if you indulge the watchman metaphor uh, a bit longer, uh, if you imagine yourself standing on the walls of your life and spotting the temptation in the distance, you might want to post a guard in between you and the temptation. In other words, I know for many people, having someone, a friend, who'll call them up that you can confess to, or who can ask you, how are you doing in that area? Where are you vulnerable? 
How can I pray for you right now? That can be extraordinarily helpful. And this is why things like community, connect groups matter so much when it comes to our growth. You know, I, I really believe with all my heart that Jesus wants to radically change our lives. But I don't think he's gonna do all the hard work for us. He calls us to partner with him. And in many ways that involves living like a watchman. I need to know that I'm weak, but then live like a watchman. And then secondly, and here comes the most important bit, I need to watch and pray that I don't fall into temptation. Now, I don't think here that Jesus is simply saying, hey, just pray, lead me not into temptation, amen. I think it's far deeper than that. I think what Jesus is referring to is the connection with God, intimacy, relationship with him, that gives us power to live a better, a different kind of life. A little illustration here, I'm sure many of you have heard of the great Carthaginian general Hannibal, uh, one of, if not the uh, greatest military leader in all of history. At times, he must have seemed invincible with his army of elephants, uh, tens of thousands of troops taking war to Italy over the Alps. Well, his demise essentially came when he met a Roman leader called Fabius. Fabius knew, I can't defeat Hannibal head on. He's too strong for me. So Fabius adopted a different strategy. He kind of shadowed Hannibal at a distance, never faced him head on. And whenever Hannibal sent out a party foraging for food or provisions, Fabius would cut them off so they couldn't feed themselves. If Hannibal approached a village that contained food or supplies, Fabius would instruct the village to burn and destroy everything. And so what happened was this, Hannibal went further and further and further, but slowly and steadily he grew hungrier and weaker. His troops got more disillusioned and discouraged and it was his undoing. The very same thing can happen to us. I know at times in my life, I've just wanted to set aside time to pray, to read the Bible, to sit in silence and listen to God, to give time for the relationship that I'm created for. And then what will happen is the phone will go or the ping of email will come in, or I'll remember a really important job I need to do, like emptying the washing machine, or I have to do that. And what happens is it's like I've sent out a foraging party for food to strengthen my inner being, and I've just cut it off. And what can happen is on the outside, everything can look fine, but on the inside, I'm growing hungrier and weaker, and more disillusioned and more discouraged, and it makes me way more vulnerable as a result. I had of a, a pastor in the US who lived through the Oklahoma bombing in 1995. And he said in the aftermath, he watched a whole load of churches and leaders and Christians respond with commendable action and activity. But he said, over the next two to three years, I watched a steady stream of them burn out and give up, quit completely. And his conclusion was this, that their external activity was not matched with internal connection with God. Uh, recently, I heard of a monk uh, talk through his prayer life. And he divided it into three categories. He said, first, when I pray, it's me and him. It's like I vomit all my problems at the feet of God. Second part of prayer for him was, it's him and me. God begins to minister to my troubles, peace to my heart, forgiveness for my sins. Thirdly, this guy said, then it is only him. And I begin to realize all that other stuff, it just pales into comparison with knowing God. This is what I'm created for. So my prayer life like that, not often, not always, is yours. 
Once I know I'm weak, it means I can watch and pray, connect with God, so I don't fall into temptation. That's the best way to growing in terms of self-control. But let me finish with the best news of all. Because I imagine for many of us, uh, you feel like I do. You feel like the disciples in this passage. They haven't watched and they haven't prayed. And by the end of the chapter, their lives are in a total mess. It's a real motley crew. And yet here's the remarkable thing. Jesus knows that. He knows they don't watch or pray. And yet he calls them to follow him anyway. He calls them on this great adventure of knowing God. How can Jesus do that? Uh, Here's the reason. It's because Jesus watched and because Jesus prayed. And Jesus did all of that and more. He went through the pain of betrayal, the agony of death, the humiliation of crucifixion. Why? Because he knew we couldn't. He knew we wouldn't. He knows our weakness. And so he went through all of that on our behalf. And perhaps even more remarkably, 2,000 years later, the Bible says God is still watching for us. And Romans chapter 8, Jesus is still praying for us. If you're going through a hard time right now, if your inner life feels very messy, if your relationships are broken, if you are painfully aware of your failures, if your life feels just a bit of a mess, God is watching you, Jesus is praying for you, and he still invites you on this amazing adventure of following him. There is an amazing future for you. And as I was thinking about how to land this talk, I was struck by this thought, maybe for many of us, the challenge we face is not a struggle with self-control, but actually it's a struggle with our lack of self-worth. Came across some really sad research uh, this week. It's a survey of 2,000 millennials, 18 to 35 years old. 80% of them said they feel like they are not good enough. 80%. If that's you, if you beat yourself up, if you are down on your future, then the message of this chapter in the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus not only can give you the power to walk into a different kind of future, he also has the power to liberate you from the guilt and the shame of the past. There's an old hymn written in 1863 that speaks of this. We're going to sing it in a moment. Here are some of the words. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, Upward I look and see him there, who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. I want to encourage you to use these words as a prayer right now. But more than that, If you would like us to pray with you, I want to encourage you to make the most of the request prayer tab. We would love to stand with you. We can pray with you today. We can pray with you this week. Maybe you're listening to this and you're like, I I want to explore more about what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe you feel like I've messed up in so many areas. There's still an adventure ahead for you. Just click on the Get Connected tab or you can click on that on our homepage and we'll be in touch this week. We can answer any questions you've got, give you some resources, do all we can to help you take the next steps on the greatest adventure of your life. But I want to finish now by praying for us before we sing together. That this truth would go from our head to our heart and we would know freedom from our past and great hope for the future.
Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come into our homes, into our rooms, into our hearts. And I want to ask that by your Holy Spirit, we would meet with God right now, that whoever is listening to this, who feels kind of inner thirst, that you would quench that thirst now in the name of Jesus. And I want to pray that people would know freedom from guilt and shame now in Jesus' name that they would know the love and acceptance of God made real to them. And more than that, would you fill each of us with fresh power to walk into a different kind of future. And may the words that we sing now be both an expression of worship and gratitude. But may as we sing them, we know you coming to meet with us. We know we haven't always watched. We haven't always prayed. Thank you that you call us anyway. And we receive your love and power now in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to ChristchurchLondon.org.